Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome back for episode 62 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on December 2nd, 2016 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the live chat here. Thank you so much for coming to spend your evening with us. This is your host, Blue Crew 86 Alongside me, we have the flowery voice of Justin Sane 0516. Justin, how have the, uh, how have the drops been for you this week? They've been good. I've been operating in different loot systems, but... They've been uh, they've been pretty good. Been playing some Titanfall too. Oh yeah, uh, I saw you. I saw you uh, losing it over the 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 pretty pretty pictures of the bushes. Yes, the flora and the fauna are both impeccable in this game, and they also respect my right to hide fully in a bush <laughs> and not not have half of me sticking out. So good on you. Oh. <laughs> You've already broken the chat. Oh, my God. I, I have. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, the topic of today's chat is going to be an exploration of the new information that we have about our favorite resident xenophobic war mind, Rasputin. Before we get into that, however, I, of course, have a few housekeeping notes. In our last chat, we took a look at the weapon foundries. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat.com for archives of all previous chats, as well as links to all our various other pages. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing as well. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular game or particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. The chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Friday at around 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts on the Guardian Radio Network found at theguardiansofdestiny.com. These include Guardian Radio, the official podcast for the Guardians of Destiny, Guardian One, and Ghost and Echoes, which also has the Destiny audio grimoire attached to it. Our next chat is going to be a discussion on the lore of the last of the Guardian races that we have access to currently, humans. So, with all that being said, let's go ahead and explore the new lore that we have about Rasputin. Justin, you're up. Yes, Rasputin, the last war mine. And you're just going to have to give me one moment because my explorer crashed. Well, that's your first problem. You're using you're using the wrong software there. Yeah, well, Chrome has been a little bit screwy. <laughs> just, just give me a just give me a break, Blue. Come on. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Rasputin. This is the summary for Rasputin. Uh, the legendary war mind stood watch over our golden age colonies. Vigilant intelligence is stretched across thousands of war sats and hardened insulations. When the collapse struck, the great war mines fought and died. Rasputin fell with them, or so history believed. But centuries of explorers' tales spoke of a surviving elusive war mind, a myth substantiated when guardians exploring the old cosmodrome made positive contact with Rasputin. 
A single warm mind still lives, diminished but unbroken. Threatened by a convergence of fallen and hive forces, Rasputin exploited the reactivation of, of the Cosmodrome's terrestrial space array to extend itself across the inner solar system. The Guardian Vanguard hoped that Rasputin might make a powerful ally, capable of mapping and reviving Golden Age military assets and recruiting them for the city's defense. But Rasputin has proven recalcitrant and high-handed, unresponsive to the city's outreach. We cannot characterize Rasputin's strategic objectives and capabilities, cannot define its physical or computational architecture, cannot ascertain its disposition with regard to the city, and cannot be sure it retains memory of events before the collapse. Perhaps what remains is only an autonomic shell, sorry, that always gives me fits, defending itself by reflex. Or perhaps Rasputin's objectives have changed, transformed by some vital information it obtained during those dark days. Rasputin's survival opens the possibility that other war mines may be revivable, opening weapon systems to aid the city's defenses. The vanguard and the consensus hope that continued outreach towards Rasputin will develop into a strategic alliance. So, I did want to just point out we. So this is this is definitely a vanilla card. Most people have probably already read this one, and oh, yeah. this is just really to kind of give us back, get us back to that information set. We talked about it a little bit in episode fourteen as well. Uh, if you guys want to hear those thoughts, this was I think that one was right before Taken King. I want to say I might have I might have been a little bit after, but. Um, the uh this is just really just like i said just to kind of get us back into the sense so that being said justin do you want to rehash anything from this particular card or do you want to dive dive uh, into the new stuff you know, i do want to dive into the new stuff but before before mm-hmm. we move on the last little uh paragraph there mm-hmm. where it talks about his survival opening the possibility that other war mines may be revivable and, uh, you know, uh, about the Vanguard and the consensus, hoping, you know, to reach out towards Rasputin and the others, if there are others. And, and this is just my opinion. This isn't fact or anything, but um, giving all, given all the insight we've, we've been able to get into Rasputin and to his facilities um, and even further with Rise of Iron and Siva, I think it's, more unlikely that all of the war mines were destroyed. Mm, um, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's more of a long shot than the fact that there's one out there. I think, I think it's a pretty safe bet that somewhere there's a war mine that, that, you know, weighed the options and said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, re- you know, turtle You're, up. Yeah. Similar. Like better- um, yeah. And, and we know, <clears throat> we know, that Charlemagne is still, at least pieces of Charlemagne are still around. Uh, we know that, you know, Deej had the comment from a mail sack back on, no, where did my notes go? Uh, March, or Ides of Mail, <clears throat> back in March of 2013, he uh, he was talking about the city wanting us to recover a piece of Charlemagne. Um, we actually also know that the Charlemagne connection 
is in the sleeper simulant. Um, and we also have an artifact that has a really, really strong possible connection to Charlemagne in the intact Warmind core. Um, and that, that connection, we'll, we'll talk, we talked to Charlotte, we talked about Charlemagne in the chat a little bit, and we definitely are going to touch on that a bit, uh, later, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the connection connection there for the intact Warmind core was Martell, uh, who historically this is actually a, this Martell is actually a real individual. Uh, Charles Martell was the grandfather of Charlemagne, who was also an actual individual as well. Uh, Charlemagne was the Holy Roman Emperor and the king of the Francia area during a pretty pretty tumultuous time in the world's history. So. You know, there's there's a number of connections that are pointing to Charlemagne still having some resources there. Uh, um, <clears throat> but I know that there's also a lot of points to say that Rasputin took over a lot of those resources as well. Um, Rahul speaks of that in a few quotes about how Rasputin has taken the, the machines away from research and we know that he has he starts throwing war sets down on all the planets that's actually the public event the war sets those are usually from Rasputin um and so there there's a lot of points to which Rasputin you know like like you were saying in the card he's using that last array to kind of branch out and gather more resources which is another topic that I'm actually going to I'm going to talk about a little bit too because another idea that, or well, another debate, and this is a common debate, whenever Rasputin comes up, this debate always gets started, is Rasputin versus the Traveler. Um, and the important aspect of that debate uh, is actually in one of the new cards, the Ghost Fragment Rasputin 6. And we're going we're gonna to read that one because that, that's a very... It's a very telling card within that debate, and I think um, I, I don't know if people haven't, I don't know if people over oversimplified it, or if they haven't had a chance to read it, or if they have a different interpretation from when I read it. So I, again, love to hear anybody's dissension on that in the chat for sure. But um, there's there was a couple there there was a couple topics that I want to get into from the chat, but first. Obviously, the brunt of our new information for Rasputin comes from the Lords of Iron, and that is really easily to be seen with the introduction of Fellwinter's Pink. Now, the reading order that we kind of put together for these next few cards um, kind of <clears throat> is a rough, it's kind of a rough chronological order. Um, so what we're going to do is the card that I'm going to, I'm going to grab right here is fell winter peak. And this is, this is an interesting card, but not, not so much. There's not a lot about Rasputin in this card, but there is a nugget that is very important within the Lords of iron and Siva. Actually, this is a very, this kind of lays the stage for one of the key players in this entire argument or well, this entire playing out of the Siva crisis for the Lords of iron. And so Felwinter Peak says, Entry 01A, Archivist Tyra Karn. Long before the last of the Iron Lords descended into the Plaguelands, this peak was the domain of one of their own, Lord Felwinter. 
His maps and outposts showed the, show the risen Exo roamed free from the RLCs to an eastern border known as Satan's Ridge. Open Satan 01A, Satan's Ridge 01A, before taking the oath. There's no evidence of human, human enclaves or encampments within this area, nor survivors within the Cosmodrome walls, but extensive one-way audio recordings with an unknown entity survive. Open Fellwinter 9C, Open Rasputin 62G, scan for possible links. A chance meeting with Lord Teemer in the Mothyards led to Teemer's first reports on the promises of Siva. Fellwinter's conscription into the ranks and the raising of the Iron Temple commenced shortly thereafter. Okay. My point for including this card is this is actually the the point at which we start understanding that Fellwinter, who, again, is an Exo, uh, that's actually going to be kind of a point of um, a point of importance in the next card that Justin's going to grab here in a second. But Fellwinter has a history of attempting to communicate with Rasputin. And that, that actually, that attempt predated his involvement with the Lords of Iron. So Fellwinter actually has a history with Rasputin. It's a one-sided history, though. And that's another important aspect that I want, I want to keep in the back of your head when we start talking about the Lords of Iron as opposed to our Guardian and the response that Rasputin gave with us as opposed to with the Lords. So that being said, I'm going to, Justin, you want to grab the, or do you have anything that you wanted to throw on this, this card? No, no, I think, I think that primes that one pretty, okay, perfect. pretty well. Um, you want to grab uh, the teamer. Yeah. Yeah. The next one opens up with everyone's favorite odd couple, Lord oh, teamer and Lord Fellwinter. Um, you know, walking around killing dregs, uh, Teemer's storm trance tears through a gang of dregs as Fellwinter stumbles through the shifting sands behind him, miles inland of what remains of the, the Arabian shores. Where are you taking me? Fellwinter rushes to Teemer's side, his eyes jumping focus, anticipating another attack. You seem far too obsessed with these war mines. Teemer stops and stares into the horizon as smelling something, not danger, discovery. He draws his fellow Iron Lord close. Tell me, Fellwinter, he whispers. What does the word seraph mean to you? Fellwinter leans in to whisper to whisper back. Old earth theology. I know its power well. One can make great use of the traps of faith in its myths. Damn you, Exos. The whisper came abandoned. Do you even ponder the before or that number etched into your flesh? Do you see yourself in your dreams? The a, a shank, then another, then more. Fellwinter hits the ground and reaches for his sidearm. Teemer hates interruptions, and his face shows it. A wash of arc light grows in his hands and erupts as the pack of machine dogs falls nearly in unison. Teemer grabs Fellwinter, bringing him back to his feet, and says, Have you ever wondered what it is that calls you into that void of memory? where the edge of the past infects your present. He returns to his game of whispers. It's an itch you can't scratch, isn't it? Well, maybe you can. You think I am one of them? That all XO are? Lord Fellwinter, I know that you are. And you are no warmind, or even one of its puppets. Come, you must see this. He makes a gesture, like he's casting a spell over the sand. Follow my footfalls. 
This area is rigged with dirty fallen nonsense. They struggled up the dunes. Fellwinter glides ahead as he lands. A sandstorm rises to meet him. More shanks. Hundreds of them. Behind them, a lone vandal sniper lays down covering fire. Fellwinter, realizing his mistake, runs back toward Teemer, shielding himself in the light of suns. Teemer con- continues forward, grasps the brass familiar around his neck, and closes his eyes. A slight hum rises, and his trance takes him deep into the sea of shanks, his trusted lash raised and tearing his path through the darkness. Fellwinter is slow to follow, but fast enough to witness Teemer's focus turns shanks by the pack against their vandal keeper, chasing him back toward the sea. Teemer rushes to Fellwinter, examining his head with the intensity of a cryptarch. Hmm, Warmind, you are certainly as stubborn as one. Fellwinter awkwardly pulls himself away and out of Teemer's reach. With all due respect, Lord Teemer, whatever game you are playing with me has gone on far long enough. This is just another dead zone. Oh, is it? Teemer directs Fellwinter's eyes towards the eastern horizon, where a building crowned with the initial CB is now in view. We all have creators, humans, exo, warminds, even those poor awoken. Some are just easier to find. Ooh-wee. Oh, Teemer. Oh, Teemer. <clears throat> you know, I always, I always think that I always read this card as that chance encounter with Fellwinter and Teemer before I realize that it's not because Fellwinter yeah. already has the title for Lord. Um, no, I, I always like, I'm always thinking that that's, this has definitely got the feeling though, that this is one of the earlier jaunts that they took as a team. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, the, uh, the importance here is obviously Fellwinter and again, the, <laughs> the connection with the war mines. Um, and you know, obviously teamers pretty, pretty blatant knowledge of, or well, not knowledge, pretty much his obsession with Clovis Bray. So, um, excuse me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, and there's, there's, that's, that's a tangent that I'm, I will give a nod to Teemer was absolutely obsessed with Clovis Bray. He, uh, he, he supposedly was even to the point there at near the end that he was making, making some suggestions that possibly the traveler was from Clovis Bray. And there's, there's just, yeah, it got, it got interesting fast. Um, so he, he was, he was a little, little off his rocker with regards to the, to that organization. Um, or was he? Or, yeah, okay, or was he? Um, <clears throat> so, and then, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, don't get me started on Seraph. <laughs> Seraph, oh, Seraph is, it's an amazing s- set of armor. Um, Where's so, the other six? <laughs> wait, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, and, and again, this was just a, another <clears throat> another thread that ties team or ties fell winter into that bundle of Rasputin and the war mines, which now both of these cards, <clears throat> excuse me, both of these cards definitely took place before the Siva crisis. Um, I mean, would Justin, would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. I would say so. 
Um, I mean, Fell Winter is obviously a summary, and but the Teamer card mm-hmm. definitely happened, I think, before the Siva Crisis. The uh, the uh, there's no there's no panic at all in either of those figures' attitudes, and you know, during Siva Crisis, that definitely seemed to be the uh, <laughs> seemed to definitely be the the normal attitude. Now, this next card, this next card is kind of what I would argue as the start of the Siva crisis. Um, this is ghost fragment Rasputin six, and this is Rasputin's response to the Lord's invasion as he perceives it. And basically his utilization of Siva. And so that opens it up. There's a giant alphanumeric code at the beginning, but basically it's, yeah, it's it's AI com Rasputin, uh his assets, force con imperative. <clears throat> it's basically him issuing an immediate action order. It says Yuga Sundown cancelled by unauthorized access at console six two eight one five. Reactivation protocols in effect. Moral structures maintain midnight exigent. Multiple light form multiple multiple life forms detected in sector seventeen. O energy detected. Query O status. Query O activity. Query, civilization status, query, sky shock event rank. Analysis complete. Life form sustained by O, energy. <clears throat> o, direct control, disengaged. Civilization status, nominal. Sky shock event, negative. Query, re-engage population protection objectives, negative. Query, reset moral structures, negative. Query, activate defense subroutine, Aurora retroflex, Yes. This is a subtle assets imperative. No human review. No AI com review. Secure Galavnaya. Site 6 has been breached by unauthorized users with O energy. I am invoking Palisade imperative. O life forms in restricted areas will be suppressed. Siva used authorized. Self-destructs disengaged. Security codes reset. <clears throat> All defenses activated. Frames activated. Replicate. Eliminate. Immunize. Site 6 secure. Restoring reactivation protocols. Activating scry oversight. Target O lifeforms. Event mode set into silent vels. Without knowing what I am and why I'm here, life is impossible. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. So. And I... We'll start, we'll start with the, we'll start with the ending here because this is, this is kind of an, it's, it's an interesting deviation from the rest of the card. Uh, it's, it's actually a quote, uh, and, and where the rest of the card is a very kind of vague, if then statement structure, um, and definitely, definitely a computer logic stream. You can follow the logic in that, that card. The last quote is kind of an odd one. It's, kind of there and you're and a lot of people I don't really I don't I don't really get why it's there. The interesting part about the quote is that this is actually a quote from Anna Karenia who which was a book by Leo Tolstoy. Um and in this book I it, it it's a Russian book so it's it's not a very happy book basically. Um the main character Anna is a individual who is troubled. And this is actually what she says, uh, prior to her committing suicide. So she, I mean, sorry, spoilers. If you haven't read the book, it's a massive book. It was, it is arguably one of his better books. Um, and it's a giant, 
it it's fiction, but it's not at the same time. Uh, Tolstoy really kind of blended a lot of his own life into his works, um, and so he he was he was a very very um, prolific writer within the Russian eras. Um, he is also known for his book War and Peace. Um, he actually arguably Anna Karenia and War and Peace are arguably both kind of, they, they don't really, we don't know which one he, even he considered his best writing. Um, now another really intriguing point about Tolstoy was Tolstoy was a huge proponent of nonviolent resistance and Christian anarchism. Um, that, that basically, uh, means that there were, there was a very large group who believed that the entire point of Christ was to promote anarchy. Uh, he, he, they, they viewed Christ's coming as a, a shucking of the, the yoke of the earthly government. Um, but at the same time, he was also very, very big on nonviolently resisting. So, um, you know, the, the scene of the monks who sit and light themselves on fire, uh, the, the people who stand in front of the tanks as they roll over them, they don't lift a hand, you know, Gandhi, all these individuals, the, this is, this is a guy that was very crucial in kind of that type of thought, um, which is, which is intriguing because that's definitely not the response that Rasputin has, um, at all. Now, the other the other fun little fact about Arena uh, Anna Karenia is the epigraph. The epigraph of this book is "Vengeance is mine, I will repay." So keep that in keep that in mind, and that's that's something that I I found very telling with with regards to Rasputin. Um, the other the other connection that I wanted to point out in Rasputin Six <clears throat> is that the presentation of this card there is a, there's a very very well put together post over on the subreddit for Destiny Lore by a user who goes by the name John Demonsbane, um, and he he actually uses the the structure of this card and holds it up against the card Rasputin five, which is what a lot of people argue is proof that Rasputin fired on the traveler. Now there's a couple points that I'm going to kind of get into briefly real quick. First off Rasputin five is not actually definitively anything happening. Um, even over on Destinypedia, when we talk, when they talk about it as well, uh, he, they say, unknown to other war minds, however, Rasputin has made his own preparations, such as the abhorrent imperative. It's very interesting that he uses that terminology because abhorrent kind of gives even his view of this. But it, they go on and say, if humanity was threatened with extinction and that the traveler attempted to leave, Rasputin would open fire with his most powerful weapons to immobilize the traveler and thereby, thereby coerce it into a pseudo-altruistic defensive action. In effect, the traveler would be forced to protect humanity if it wanted to survive. 
Rasputin would avoid culpability for such an attack by initiating it through a series of proxies, which is what Rasputin 5 is actually doing, is setting up those proxies. Even before the collapse, Rasputin has been discreetly stockpiling such weapons in the Cosmodrome, though some human operators suspected Rasputin's involvement. It is unknown if Rasputin's scheme was ever implemented during the collapse or if the Traveler remained on Earth for another reason. That's the end of the quote. Now, the other point for this debate that really kind of settles it for me is the fact that General Batuta, who is one of the known writers of the grimoire, has also confirmed that Rasputin 5 is not a record of the plan being carried out, but rather just an implementation of a potential plan in case it is needed which is a very important distinction. If you look at the way that Rasputin 6 is written, it's a it's a it's a card that actually is being processed. It's it's statements of I will do this. I am doing this. Rasputin 5 on the other hand is basically a ginormous if then statement that has no execution statement within it. So, that all being said, I'm still in the camp that Rasputin did not shoot the traveler. Uh, I don't know. Justin does not agree with me, but (laughs) I don't know. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get to that debate right now. (laughs) That could go on for quite some. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a couple of other noted things here as well that we'll, we'll come back. We'll touch back on in this, um, especially with the sleeper mm -hmm. cell. I think there's a couple points that will get touched on here as well. Yeah. Um, but before we did move on, there were a couple of terms in this um, in this action imperative. I just wanted to uh, kind of touch on. Um, first is Seraph. I think everyone pretty much, you know, if if you don't know Seraph, it's it's a member of the highest order of angels, mm-hmm. um, the highest order of the ninefold celestial hierarchy. Yes, yes, well, that's the it- nine levels to the celestial hierarchy yeah nine choirs yes there you go um and uh i want to go back to where he to the last little statement before the quote that says without knowing what i am and why Mm -hmm. your life is Mm -hmm. impossible um site six secure restoring reactivation protocols activating scry oversight now here's my question you blue Mm -hmm. um to scry is to foretell the future um, using some sort of medium like a magic ball for certain, you know, for instance, or a pool of water. Yeah. Um, <coughs> do, do you think it is possible that Rasputin or a war mind for that matter has the computational power to, I, I don't want to say tell the future or nope. look into the future, but, to infer to infer the future from a set of severely complex simulations and and have a pretty accurate um view of the outcomes um so okay uh let's see so first first response scrying is uh, to scry is generally understood as a <clears throat> portent portention ability, like a, a prophecy or revelation. Um, but, but there is also 
occult practices which view scrying as merely uh merely viewing another location uh not okay. in the future but necessarily but in the same moment of time so <clears throat> usually uh you would see this in hollywood films a lot when uh oh gosh i'm trying to th- i'm trying to think of an example but the general general mirror, example mirror yeah kind of the mirror mirror um i'm thinking more of like the lord of the rings era where uh gladriel is like standing over the pool of water the pool of water and she's looking and you know she's seeing things now in that that's a that's kind of a poor example because she also looks into the future a little bit there but um it's, she also kind of manipulates the image, I think, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and in there's there, yeah, in depending on the, the depending on the metaphysical power, and all, there's a there's a giant variety. But what I, my point is is that scrying is also known as just seeing or peeping, like just like looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, green is saying in chat also. It's there's sometimes a subconscious revealing as well. It, uh, scrying is you know as much of a psychological use as well as. Uh, a supernatural use. But mm-hmm. I, I, I always read this as kind of like him being like, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, and it's not that we haven't seen this in the game. Uh, Vex do the, or the Vex do this mm-hmm. with everything except for the war mines actually. So the fact that the war mine is complicated enough to escape of Vex's inferential capabilities would also infer that the war mind is just as equally capable of inferring others as the Vex, you know, to a degree. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I actually, I could see it going either way. <clears throat> um, I did, I, I did want to really quick go back if you would let me and touch on the, yeah. the Seraf term. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go right in. So Seraf, just real quick, this is because I, like I said, I kind of really am a, a fan of the serif uh, imagery, especially within regards to destiny. Um, first off, if you don't, if you have never looked at the serif armor, go look at it. It's really interesting armor. Uh, the quotes on it are amazing. Uh, one of my favorite, it's actually one of my favorite armor sets in uh, serif bond is actually one of the best quotes because I think it really presents a, a kind of a question uh, and in the quotes goes that some of the city folk call us angels. Others take a different view. Now, Seraph is a fascinatingly detailed word. Um, it originates from Hebrew, and uh, the the seraphim is actually the term plural. Uh, the singular is seraph, uh, and it's evolved. It evolved into late Latin and Greek in a more commonly identified term, the seraphim, which again the seraph and the seraphim, the singular and the plural. Translated, uh, generally this is meant to be the burning one. And you actually, excuse me, hang on. You actually see this in a lot of religious texts. For example, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, describes celestial beings with six wings who are the caretakers of the throne of God and are responsible for singing not just one, but a triple invitation of holiness known as the triasion. 
Um, they appear in Hellenistic works, the Book of Enoch, and the Book of Revelation. And this is just in Christian mythology. Uh, however, it is often commonly accepted that a seraph is an angelic being regarded in traditional Christian or in angelology as belonging to the highest order of the ninefold celestial hierarchy, which is what Justin already said. Now, they are also associated with light ardor and purity, which is interesting in the terms of destiny because of the concept of light. Um, the, the another side note as far as angiology is that Jewish traditions have a tenfold hierarchy. And even in that hierarchy, seraph are in the highest order. So even in other religion, it's not just Christian, it's Jewish, which I'm not going to get into that argument, but most of the metaphysical arguments there, they are in the position of the highest. Um, there, there's, oh my gosh, there's connections to Egyptian mythology because the Christian description is of serpents with six wings, which ties into the serpent gods of Egypt, um, which yeah, I, I can go on and on with that. But the interesting there with the seraph is that the seven seraphs was that, that one faction that everyone everyone loves to wonder about because we know nothing about them. Um, we know that all the war mines, for example, or well, no, we know that Rasputin, I guess I'll clarify, Rasputin has an area below his bunker that is called the Seraphim Vault. We know that from the, I believe it was the Writer's Roundtable, they mentioned the Seraphs as potentially the programmers of the war mind. So... The seraph is there's there's tons and tons of connection yeah. connections with seraphs. Um, the the other connection there is so the seraph armor is a war, uh, warlock armor set. If you ever ever am curious about a connection here, look at the Sunsinger when they when they pop their super. They have wings of fire, and that's a description of the seraph is a a winged flaming creature. Um, in the book of Isaiah, they were the, the ones that were responsible for purifying, uh, the prophets of, of the Lord of God, because he, uh, basically the story is, is that he was taken into paradise to be before the throne of God, which is how he perceived the seraphim. And he was not allowed to speak because he was not quote unquote pure enough to speak. And so the seraphim actually made them, made him kiss a holy coal from a a uh, brazier of that was sitting at the foot of his throne. And so again, seraph and purification and light and fire and then you have a sun singer and it's a warlock. I mean and then there's the Pajari connection as well and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Um but yeah, so before I get completely down that rabbit hole, uh cuz I'm already pretty deep there is also, <laughs> so, yeah, um, there was, there was also a really connect, uh, I saw pins toss it into the chat and I just cannot find it right now, but I believe, and I'm probably going to butcher this word again, but I believe Glavnaya is, um, Russian for homepage. If I remember that correctly, yes, Glavnaya is a Russian for homepage. Thank you, Pins. Um, and then also there was another another kind of random one is Silent Velis. Velis, 
is a god um in in the Czech Srilic, I guess, uh pantheon, yeah. who's also known as Volos. Um and he's basically he's a major god. He's a major Slavic god of earth, waters, forest, and the underworld, which I'm gonna have a connection to as well later. Um and and who's his nemesis? <laughs> you keep Perun! Perun, the Supreme Thunder God. <laughs> oh, that rascally blade dancer. I swear to that's the I love these little weaved connections here, whether they're intentional or not. Oh, yeah. I really don't. Pins, I pins, ceased caring about a year ago. Yeah, Pins Pins <laughs> also has a really fun connection there. Velus is also known as the Lord of Wolves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, movie. because he's he's related to the he's related to Loki. I forgot. Well, I actually that. had I was going to see what you thought about this, because I had a, an idea of the um, the God, the significance of the term silent Velus. Mm-hmm. Um, Velus is associated with the earth, waters, forests. And then the underworld primarily. Right. And then kind of secondarily, he's kind of a a Loki-like figure. But what if this is to simply be read to mean silent earth? Like this is the event mode is literally let's let's wipe. (laughs) Um oh okay. Um so, where to start? The etymology of Velus, right? Uh, there, there's a, I think there's an argument here on what exactly the, the root word for Velus is. Because uh, it could be anything from wool to humid or meadow. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I mean, there, there, there's a, there looks like there's a giant debate going on right now as well. <clears throat> so... Uh, I mean, like, I definitely can see it. Like, I, I definitely see where you're going with that. But at the same time, I I don't know. I mean, because the other thing is to is the connection to Loki. Um, in, in connection to Loki, Velus in serpentine form uh, uh, is nestled uh, no. in a, a nest of black wool at the roots of the tree of the world. But he's also the shepherd of the dead. So, you know, it's like, and he's often perceived in like a beast form of a bear and a wolf. And so there's, oh my gosh, this, this could be a potential Warren rabbit Warren, not a rabbit hole, because anytime you get back into Norse mythology, it's, you know, it's, it's just Katie bar the door because it's going to get crazy. Um Yeah, yeah, it was just. It was. Just I think I can. I can just, see. No, I can I, see the. I can see the logic in it. I was trying to. To you know, I was like, who in this in this uh, architecture here that Rasputin's laid out? Who would be Velus in this? You know, but then then it just hit me. I was like, maybe Velus isn't someone. It's you know. Yeah, I guess I keep I keep reading him as basically an equivalent to Thanatos, uh, you know, the shepherd of the dead. 
And so mm-hmm. if he's a silent Velus, if he's a shine, you know, the event mode is set to silent Velus. Um, and he's targeting the Lords of the Lords of iron, you know, he's killing them. He's shepherding them into their death. And then he says, you know, without knowing what I am and why I'm here, life is impossible. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, there's, there's a lot of possibilities for that particular one. The, uh, the other thing I do want to throw in here is that the difference in the SIVA command structure is important here. Um, there was a bit of a conversation about why Rasputin can control SIVA so much better than the House mm-hmm. of the Devils. That's simply because and there was actually there's actually a quote that answers this in the raid armor, the raid armor, I think. Um, I'm trying I'm going off the top of my head because I actually just kind of was going to make a quick comment here. Um, but there was, there was a point in which one of the quotes basically says that Siva is not the problem. It's the people who don't know how they're programming it. That's the problem. So basically it's the, 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 the program is not at fault. If the person programming the program doesn't know what they're doing, which is basically what the house of devils is doing. They have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Um, not, not anything against them for that particular aspect. They just aren't programmers. Rasputin is an AI construct. Rasputin is a program. He, he, he exists with an inherent understanding of how to appropriately program these things. And so when he says replicate, eliminate, immunize, immunize, you know, I, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can read that. Um, I know that there is at least a couple different ways that we've, we've heard, but the way I read it is that he it's a command it's it's a command prompt for Siva. Uh, Siva needs to replicate, which is increase its presence. It needs to eliminate the the defense violation. The you know protocols have been then and then it needs to immunize itself. And that is why at the time, because remember also Siva will continue following its programming until it just is programmed to do something else. Like it. It doesn't have sentience. It's just there. It, it's not. It's not. Th- it's a non-thinking replication replicator from Stargate, which is terrifying. Um, but that's why that that end end prompt is immunize. So it's basically up up. You know, amp up your presence. Do this task. Decrease your presence. Mm-hmm. We're done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you need a stop command. Right. Yes, that's exact. I read the immunize as a stop command. Yeah, because I've done I've done very limited programming for for my job, and without a stop and a reset command, you know, you're the, you're gonna have you a get bad caught. Time. Yeah, you get caught in a loop that'll result in some crazy things. But anyways, I'm not I'm not that good at that so yeah i mean we could you could probably we could probably do um uh you know focus fire ghost fragment rasputin six. Oh yeah and we, we could, could probably fill an hour and a half but, i i um, agree completely so do you before, want to move on to iron lords 2.5 yes let's move on to this one um now we're and I, i'm gonna introduce it just a little bit so rasputin six is Rasputin's response to the Lords invading and kind of breaking in and basically running amok. This next card is actually the 
the one of the Iron Lord's response to Rasputin's response. So. Yeah. So this is actually dormant Siva. This is one of the little clusters of dormant Siva that you can find post rise of iron. And this is number 2.5. We should have been more careful. Should have never contacted the war mind, trying to help, trying to rebuild thought, consume, enhance, replicate was the key. Feels like we've been fighting for days, weeks, but we're close. Once we get to the replicator, we consume, enhance, replicate. Go. I'll hold them off. Siva, Mim, question mark, question mark, zero, three, one, three. Now, it's easy to see how a program with a command that ends in replicate could run amok. <laughs> right? What? No. No. <laughs> That's not. It's like one of those. It's That's... like one of those if you had. One of those little flow charts, like for first aid or something. But then when you got to the end, it didn't give you an answer. It gave you an arrow that went around the page and back up to the top. Yep. The person, the person would bleed out before you figured it out because yeah. you consume, enhance, replicate. You you literally just gave it the opposite of a stop command. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. Yeah. And. The the desperation again. We we've talked about this with the Siva episode. Um, I'm going to come back to this card. I, so, I will be honest. Um, I have a, I have a thought on this card too. So, yeah, well, well then I'll save my, yeah, no, 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 you go ahead because my thought require it's going to come after we're done reading grimoire. Cause it's a pretty, pretty intricately designed rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, my view is this, this is either Saladin or Yolder. Um, more likely in my thought, in my head canon, Yolder, but I could be wrong. And I, I would say if it's going to be one of those two, it would probably be Saladin. Because remember in the cutscene, so. he's holding them off while they're in the, he's yeah. in the replicator. I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, I also don't know if Saladin got infected with SIVA. Yeah, that's what that's what throws me, and that's what makes me think that it is Yolder, mm-hmm. because I view the I view the consume enhance replicate tags that are inserted here kind of awkwardly mm-hmm. as being the the Siva corruption. Yeah, um, like mid sentence, like the transmission has been corrupted. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, I agree with that. So, I mean, I I don't know, I. Uh, it's frustrating that we don't know which or who each of these Iron Lord cards come from, which actually brings us to the next one. Uh, and that is Dormant Siva, Iron Lords 2.6. It says, Fellwinter tried to communicate with the War Mind, called it Rasputin, consume, enhance, replicate. Said he could make it understand. Tell it we mean, meant no harm. Rasputin didn't answer with words. Siva, Mim, question, question, zero, three, one, four. So first off, I, I guess my, my other kind of trivial point here is that the, when, um, we are picking up, so in game, you pick up the Siva clusters, right? So you are picking up at the time that you pick up these, and this might actually go, go towards answering what you were just saying, Justin, um, 
the uh, when you pick up that cluster, that is a cluster of SIVA as it exists in in our world today, right? So it's the it's the corrupted, I guess it's not really corrupt because it's but it's the one that has the really bad command prompt, the consume enhance replicate, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So but but you're accessing memory files from previous. So there is also the possibility that those awkward interruptions is not so much the and actually this is the more I'm thinking about this, this is actually what I'm going to agree with is that these interruptions of consume enhance replicate are actually happening in the current world, even though you're looking at memory files from the past. Because remember, okay. Rasputin's command prompt was not consume enhance replicate. It was replicate, eliminate, immunize. So technically, if this was actual, full actual data, that would be the command prompt that should be in there, not the consume enhance replicate. Because Rasputin didn't command it to do that. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. So let me ask you this. Okay. Is the is the SIVA cluster it's it's a little node of SIVA that's broken off from the rest. I think there's actually right. a, yeah, it is. There, yeah, there's actually a description of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the the synergy of that and the person speaking these words is what is 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 what I'm having a hard time with. Oh no, no, and I agree. And like, you, I mean, it's even worse on the Axis SIVA clusters. Like, it's like yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's yeah. Um, it's, it almost seems like for this to be the data that it is, it would have to be after SIVA already had its hooks into you. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, or it's just simple data corruption. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a computer program, data corruption, data degradation, it happens. Um, and there's not really rhyme or reason to the, the logical placement of the, the falling out of file pieces like you know that's kind of the that's the frustrating thing is if there was a rhyme or reason to data degradation we could we could solve data degradation and not have to worry about it from a programming standpoint or corruption well, yeah you know. but i guess my point is for siva to even have the data to be in a cluster and to degrade mm-hmm. siva would have to be Oh, SIVA retains. So SIVA learns like it, it learns. It just doesn't have sentience. So um, we know from the grimoire that SIVA is as something that when it encounters something, it registers the information and records it, uh, which is actually which actually makes it so fascinating because it's recording. It's basically a giant repository of all the stuff that it's ever done. Um, but what you have to what a lot of what a lot of people don't quite connect here is that it's just like a um it's it's just like a giant sql database okay um you can have massive 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 tables in the database right and you can have this database record information anytime someone looks at it clicks on it interacts with it you know all this information is going to get recorded into this database but that doesn't mean the database is aware of itself right it's just a repository it's just it's housing this information it's not actually doing anything with the information it's just housing it 
That's how I read SIVA. SIVA is a giant database against which a programmer or the controller has to query or has to command query. Um, and basically, the way that they command query is these consume, enhance, replicate, replicate, and eliminate, immunize. These different command prompts, those are just queries against this giant database. SIVA then takes those commands and does whatever it's commanded to do until it's commanded to stop. That's the problem with SIVA as we know it, is that there is no stop command. So when, you, when you're looking at, and, and that's, that is important to understand, because then when you look at these dormant SIVA clusters, they're literally the clusters that take off, that break off from SIVA. If you, again, think of SIVA as a literal database, these are actual pieces of data that have fallen off that database. And yeah, yeah. My, you know, my like, question was how they get the data. Did they get it off a of ghost? Or was no, it they, they got it off of the, the consumption of the Iron Lords. They got it off the consumption of okay, Axis. That, that was my whole point. We're, we're, we're agreeing then. Oh, okay, okay. That to, for SIVA to have this information, this is, this is a transcript from someone who is already who had Enhance, already or, uh, consumed. Been, yes, exactly. Which, you know what? You know what really? Okay, just random tangent here. What really concerns me about that is how did Clovis Bray get into it? And Willa Bray. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Because I mean, I mean, that, seriously, because if you follow that logic, which I, I agree, I agree with that logic. I think that if Siva in, uh, consumes or interacts with something, it learns. Um, so they enhance themselves with Siva. And we know Clovis was obsessed with immortality. So, you know, modifying his own body with Siva is not, for me, a big stretch of the imagination for him, um, which we'll, we'll I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit as well. So, but you want to yes. do, you want to do the, the yeah. final grimoire that we really have kind of about Rasputin. I know we keep getting kind of sucked into Siva conversations, but. No, it's okay. I think I think if you're going to update Rasputin, there's going to be some Siva. Oh talk. yeah, yeah, no, I agree. <clears throat> so, um, so this next card is the walls come down. The Cosmodrome is a nexus point. Too many things have happened there to be a mere coincidence. Now we add one more piece to that puzzle: Siva. Saladin did not hide all knowledge of Siva as completely as he wished. I have found several references to that technology over the years, and obviously our enemies have as well. I believe SIVA was once a tool for the Warmines. What terrible things will the Fallen do with it? Yeah, and, yeah. Really, the the point for this card is just to kind of confirm what we've what we've all been talking about up until this point. Is SIVA pretty much was a tool of the Warmines? The Warmines controlled SIVA. Um, you know, we know from what well, we talked about this in the SIVA episode, but SIVA was originally <clears throat> was originally designed as a colonization uh, colonization augmentation tool. It was meant to basically be sent out in front of all these colonization efforts and it would to be land somewhere and it would have had a command prompt to build a 
uh, landing base, right? And then, you know, it'd be commanded to just go dormant. And then when the colonists actually arrived at their destination, they wouldn't have to worry about building up a house. They wouldn't have to worry about building, you know, an environmental, environmentally safe place for them to, to actually land. Um, that was actually one of the original concepts of SIVA. Uh, we then kind of also know that Clovis Bray and their, their such strong moral <laughs> approach to everything came with and was like, hey, this would be a really cool weapon if we could weaponize this. And the generals of the the human race at that time during the Golden Age kind of didn't have a problem with that. They were actually like, yeah, this would be really cool. Uh, we have war mines. They can control it because, you know, we like calling Yeah, And so it just kind of went downhill from there. Um, we also That's know it always goes. Yeah, it's, it's a common. It is. It really is. Um, we also know that the SIVA was used to construct a lot of things during the Golden Age. Again, not necessarily a pure weapon. It was actually a tool, which really reminds me of the Vex, to be honest. But we're not going to go down that connection. Um, yeah, so then that is really, really, that is the, the new grimoire in Rise of Iron for Rasputin. Um, and like I said, on episode 14, we kind of talked Rasputin pretty much up into this point or not. Well, not this point, but pretty close. Um, there, there are actually a couple missions and quests that I do want to actually hearken back to. Um, and that that's simply because there's a bit of foreshadowing, actually, in some of these quests. And the first one that I wanted to look at was the Fallen Saber, which I know Justin just absolutely loves this. this. Frank the Turbo Shank. <laughs> so, um, and, and really the, the point of this one is there's a quote from our ghost, and it says, if the devils gain control of Rasputin, we'd have Golden Age ordnance pointed at the tower in minutes into the world again. Well, this was, uh, <laughs> I think this was back in, was this uh, Taken King? No. Riss? Saber two uh, was Saber two a Taken King? I can't remember. I just remember no, I no, avoided it. Was, it. Uh, Saber two was a Taken King. Okay, strike. So not yeah. not too far back, but again, kind of a foreshadowing. <laughs> oh look, look what the devils found: Golden Age ordnance, and they didn't even have to take over Rasputin for it. So I just you know again, kind of the importance of Rasputin and the the information that he has within his databanks. The other one that really is just uh, an interesting connection too, be simply because of the quote for me, and then also one of the subsequent effects of this quest is the Promethean Code. So the quote is from Tevis, Tevis Larson, and his quote says, Rasputin isn't an ally. You hear me, blood? You find yourself thinking that you shut it down. He may not be against us, but he doesn't care if you live or if the city lives. If the traveler lives, trust me, he told me himself. So <clears throat> this, this I'm going to actually use as a springboard into kind of a, kind of an idea that mm, I've, I've been bouncing around. So Prometheus or well, okay. The Promethean code is obviously a nod to Prometheus. Now, 
most of you probably know I'm kind of obsessed with mythological connections. What? Yeah, not crazy. And especially historical ones. Yeah, who am I? Who is this person? So real quick, real quick introduction to Prometheus. Prometheus is the Titan from Greek mythology who is known for the creation of mankind and for being one of their greatest benefactors throughout all the various tales he appears in. Throughout history, he actually has appeared as a major inspiration for literature and poetry as a symbol and archetype of rebellion against institutional tyranny. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was a modern retelling of the creation myth via unnatural technology rather than the natural cycle of reproduction, and it's actually called Frankenstein or modern Prometheus. Um, and it's the the impact of Mary Shelley's work is amazing as far as a philosophical approach to understanding creationism and the view of the interplay of the soul and the body, but. The connection here is, again, Prometheus was actually in Greek mythology. So Prometheus is a titan. Uh, we, a lot of people don't remember titans were the gods before the commonly understood Greek gods. So Zeus and all them. Those are actually Olympians. Those are not titans. Titans are pro- more primordial gods. Um, and titans were overthrown by the Olympians. And most of them were imprisoned. Some of them were not. Prometheus was one of them. And he was actually tasked with the creation of a subservient being for the Olympians. And so he created mankind. Well, in the process of creating, obviously, he created them artificially. And he kind of got attached to them. I mean, he, he made them. He is kind of invested in their well-being. And he kind of pisses off Zeus because basically he's like, you're mistreating my creation and I don't think that that's right. So I'm going to gift them with, you know, various pieces of information. The most famous of which is the fire. He gave them fire from Olympus. Um, This to be frank, pissed off Zeus because it basically went against his orders and Zeus was really honestly, the actual Zeus in mythology is not the fun loving character that most people see uh in modern retelling zeus was kind of an kind of an ass uh and he was fickle as everything else uh you i mean the the ancient gods were not consistent i think would be the easiest way to say that they they fluctuated on whether or not they liked you or not and if they didn't like you it it sucked like your life was hell. Um, and if they did like you, your life was probably okay until they didn't like you. And then it reverted back to what I just said. So Zeus gets pissed off at Prometheus for taking a ember and giving it to mankind. And he says, no, you know what? I'm done. I'm done putting up with you. We're going to chain you to a rock and you're going to constantly be eaten by an eagle. Your liver is going to get eaten for eternity. And he's a titan, so he can't die. He's immortal. Basically, what that means is every time this eagle would land and eat his liver uh, and then fly away because it was done eating, he would regrow it and he would regenerate. And then the next day, it would happen again and again and again and again and again. In some myths, actually, Hercules actually kind of frees him. And um, there's different there are different things. But regardless, Prometheus was always viewed as rebellion against tyranny 
but he was also really, really kind of connected to this artificial creation of life. Now, the connection to destiny for Prometheus is the entire concept of the exos. The the existence of exos is basically a destiny version of Frankenstein. Exos are an artificial creation of life, and they are life because we know that they have sentience, they have an equivalent of a soul within the Destiny universe as much as they've nodded to it, and you know they, they have a sense of self, and this is exactly the same as Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster was a hodgepodge of corpses that somehow was imbued with a soul and went on to basically do some very terrible things and it, it, it oh it's not a happy a, book i mean it's not a happy book was, and and i i take exception to that it's it's pronounced frankenstein oh my god um. <laughs> oh my lord so so uh everyone knows the, the electric eels that made frankenstein come oh god it's such a terrible <laughs> Oh, so, but my, my concept here too, is that, um, there's, there's a, this kind of led me down a bit of a rabbit hole, which uh, most of you probably have realized is the problem with me and anything with destiny lore. Um, and I started, I started looking at Prometheus as far as the Promethean code. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit with the sleeper simulant, uh, because there's a, there's a possible nod to, the question of why did Rasputin answer? Why did the rest? Why did Rasputin answer us in a different manner than the way that he responded to the Lords of Iron? Um, and so, so to back to back up before I get down there, though, this led me to kind of looking at the Lords of Iron and their story, and that made me start kind of remembering some other Greek mythology. And there's there's one myth myth particularly that really seems to to be a nod to the entire story of the lords of iron and that that's the myth of phaethon phaethon um and this this is really it's a generic name in greek mythology but the the most the best known figure uh is the son of the oceanid climon and the solar deity helios now this is all from uh, Ovid's Metamorphosis, so it's it's not necessarily pure. Uh, in, anyways, um, basically, the myth tells the tale of a child who is in search of proof for his father's divine nature because his mom keeps telling him his dad's a god, but as a as a god, he he's not there, um, and so he you know he tells everyone that he's. He's a, he's the son of a God, but they all are like, yeah, sure, whatever. And he keeps, he, he, he wants to prove it to himself. And so he searches for this and he finally manages to get the attention of his father, Helios, who then comes down and basically kind of gets tricked into swearing an oath to give the child or well, the boy at the time, uh, anything that he wants to prove that, you know, he is actually his father. So the child actually tricks who tricked the his father into doing this says i want to fly your chariot now helios is responsible for the in in this mythology helios is responsible for the path of the sun his chariot wheel is actually the sun that goes around the world um and so he he actually has a response that's very kind of interesting 
because if you if you think of Rasputin as Phobius, who is Helios in Ovid's Metamorphosis, and then think of Siva as the chariot, this quote really interests me. It says, suppose you are given the chariot, what will you do? Will you be able to counter the turning poles so the swiftness, swiftness of the skies does not carry you away? Perhaps you conceive in imagination that there are groves there and cities of the gods and temples with rich gifts. The way runs through ambush and apparitions of wild beasts. You will not easily rule these, those proud horses, breathing out through mouth and nostrils the fires burning in their chest. They scarcely tolerate my control when their fierce spirits are hot and their necks resist the reins. Beware, my boy, that I am not the source of a gift fatal to you, while something can still be done to set your request, set right your request. So the end of the quote. So basically, if Rasputin is phobious, well, if you view Rasputin as phobious, this makes a lot of interesting connections because basically phobious is here is trying to be like, hey, look, this is a bad idea. Don't I I'm going to give you whatever you want, but please do not ask me of this. And the child goes ahead and, you know, kind of just says, oh, hell with it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take that chariot. I'm going to do it because I, I, you know, I'm your son. I'm, I should be able to do it. Well, you know, as is most ancient mythology, this does not end well. Uh, He, he tries to fly the sun chariot and loses control, completely loses control. And, the chariot scorches the earth, which is how the Greeks explained many of the vast deserts, especially, I believe it was the Sahara off the top of my head that they were explaining. And then he falls off the chariot as if he was a falling star. He slams in the ground and dies. And there is an epitaph of Phaethon here that is also very interesting with regards to the Lords of Iron. It says, here Phaethon lies who in the sun god's chariot fared. And though greatly he failed, more greatly he dared. And that's the end. So the impact of this and the connection that I kind of am hearing in my head, at least, is think about this again. Think about Rasputin as Phobius. Think of Siva as the chariot, the gift that is fatal to you. And think of the Lords of Iron as Phaethion. They, they, they greatly failed, but they did so because they greatly dared. They were trying to connect to Siva to rebuild the golden age from the collapse. And this also is, this also really, really, really makes interesting the concept of that famous, famous thing that Fellwinter did, which was lie. What did he lie about? No one knows, but the tragedy, uh, the tragedy in the Phaethion mythos was basically caused by Phaethion seeking out his father to prove to his friends and himself that his mother wasn't lying about his divine lineage. So again, if Siva is the chariot in the example, Rasputin could be playing the part of Phobius, which is the father to the Exos in a way, and taking a page from this myth by actually not trying to repeat the tragedy. So basically, basically Rasputin is trying to prevent the tragedy of Phaethion from happening and isn't able to, which kind of brings it another myth that could be paralleled. And this is a myth that's much more popular. I'm sure most, and I'm not going to hash this out nearly as much. Um, but this is the myth of Icarus, you know, and this, this actually kind of stems from that 
Iron Lords 2.5 card um, about the overreach and the overambition of the Lord, the Lords of Iron. And the thing with Icarus was that the danger was, you know, he, he basically, his father was the creator of the labyrinth in Crete, and then they were imprisoned by the king. And his father needed to, his father wanted to escape, but he couldn't escape without his son. And so he took his son with him and they designed, they designed wings out of feathers and wax and some, some wood. And the entire thing was you couldn't, the, he warned his son, he's like, don't, don't grow too complacent. Don't grow too bold. You can't fly too high and you can't fly too low. Um, you, you. Because if you fly too high, the sun's heat will melt the wax and the feathers will fall off and you'll fall to your death. And if you fly too low, the the mist of the waves, because they would be flying over the ocean, the the mist from the waves would soak the feathers and make them damp. And again, the wings would fail. And Icarus, of course, being the young young lad that he was, was like, yeah, 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 that's great. That's great, dad gets in his wings and of course many of you know flies too high the wax melts or well he flies too low and the starts losing so he he beats his wings up gets too high the wax melts and he falls to his death in the ocean um again because he was too bold Uh, and there's there's obviously you know the the message there is very very clear but it's also a really good parallel to the Lords of Iron. They they overreached. They reached too far. They tried to grab the sun, and they got burned for it. Now, this all comes back to Prometheus, and this all comes back to the initial thing that set this whole rabbit hole off was the Promethean Code. So, the Promethean Code leads us into getting a weapon that a lot of people kind of like, and I don't know because I don't have it, or no, I think I finally got it, but the sleeper simulant. Now, there's a couple really, really cool little trivia pieces about the sleeper simulant. First off, we know that there is actually a piece of Rasputin that has been stored inside the weapon, and this is can this can be seen in the Cosmo Asset reassignment that is spoken about in the sleeper simulant card. Uh, Rasputin apparently has stored 12% of himself into the weapon, which is just an interesting trivia thing. The other interesting part for me, at least was the concept of the Achilleos fusion core. Um, this is really, really, really interesting because Achilleos fusion core kind of confirms Charlemagne's existence. Um, it also hints that the weapon is a combined product of Charlemagne and Rasputin, which kind of can be said to point to the bastard, or not the, uh, the cannibalization of tech by Rasputin into a weapon for the Guardians. Which brings us to the question that we actually talked about in chat, which is why did Rasputin have a different response to the Guardians than he did to the Lords of Iron? The sleeper simulator actually answers that question as well. The, the understanding here is that at the time of the Lords of the Iron, this was pretty close to the collapse. Uh, Rasputin was still pretty fresh from his whole debacle, and he didn't really need help at that time. Um, so the destruction of the Lords, 
he he had all the resources he needed at the time. The fallen weren't weren't pushing him against the wall. He wasn't between a rock and a hard place at the time in the Lords of the Iron. He just had basically the, these lords poking holes in his defenses, and he was done with it. He just was tired, and so he he basically eradicated that threat. Now the thing that you have to remember for our situation is that in the year before our guardian comes onto the scene, Rasputin reg- registers that increase there has been an increase in attacks against his defenses by an amount of 400%. He has he has lost resources drastically for in our world and in our time. Um, yeah, Green Eyed actually just threw that in the chat. The, the quote hypothesized that resources guardians may be leveraged to compensate for CDP inadequacies. CDP is uh, complex defense protocols. And so basically, he is just getting hammered on by Fallen trying to dig into his bunker. And he just constantly, and, and it's not that he was made, he didn't make it easy for us. From Vanilla, he has been very, very very hands-off in his approach. But we have proven time and time again that we are protecting him. We have protected him from the Fallen. We've protected him from Omnigol. We have protected him, you know, from pretty much everything that we have. And we keep re- we keep retrieving those war sets that, he, that keeps dropping down. That's what those public events are. You're retrieving a war set, which is part of Rasputin's network. So you're an, you're an asset to him. You're not a... You're not an invading force as the lords were. And and he doesn't have enough defense protocols anymore. Like he is running on he is running close to being on empty as far as resources. So whereas with the lords, he kind of was like, oh, go away. Um, I'm still, he was still pretty powerful. He was still fully in control of all his resources and all of the defenses that he had. The guardians, the time has passed war, the war mine secluded. I mean, he's desperate for resources. The last, and the, the last array mission was a huge bonus to him because remember what he did. He grabbed that array. He expanded himself throughout the system and grabbed all the resources and power that he could. But at the same time, 400% increase in attacks is that's that's going to tax even the best. So we were meant for compensation for the CDP inadequacies and we were identified as part of a directive for him that he actually had built and that's the Achilles directive. Now, my connection for Achilles gets kind of interesting as well. Achilles is actually a another god uh, this is the god in the personification of nightmares, and this is the this god is the son of Nyx and Erebus. Though there are some myths that hold Achilles was the what's called a parthenogenetically generated son of Nyx, which is basically a really really long word that means virgin birth. Uh, the example that comes to mind is Christ. So, but Nyx, Nyx. That name should ring a bell with a couple people from Vanilla Destiny. We have a we have actually have a ship uh, with Nyx, and it's uh, the, the Maw. Fangs of Nyx. The Fangs of Nyx. Beware oh, no, the Fangs. Of, the Fangs the of fangs yeah. Beware her God. Maw. Yeah, it's a, it's a ship. Uh, now Nyx yeah, right. Nyx is a extremely powerful goddess. 
Um, she's actually a primordial goddess, and this is this is a level of deity in the Greek pantheon that is beyond Titans and beyond Olympians. This is on par with Kronos and all the creators of the universe. Nyx is actually fe- she's feared even by Ze- I mean all the Olympians fear Nyx. She's the daughter of Chaos, and she also is the mother of Eris. So, Achilles is a nightmare, and his mother is darkness, and his sister is Eris. So, just fun, fun little trivia connection there for you guys as well. So, basically, the name that Rasputin has given the Guardians is, you're my nightmare, but I'm going to help you anyways. And also, you you know who uh, one of I can... Ikelos's uh brothers is Thanatos. Oh yeah, Thanatos. Yeah, I was like there's a couple San- Thanatos a and um Thanatos. uh no gosh, who was I was thinking Sleep. Who is who's Sleep? Uh I thought that was Erebus. Is there Oh yeah, okay, that's right. Erebus is Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, I knew something. So yeah, that's that's what goes so, through my head every time we talk lore. I apologize so, yeah, for that so that the, trip down the insanity. The Ikelos is the is the nightmare. Yeah, well, he's he's the god or, or personification of no, nightmares. no, no. I'm I'm talking. I'm I'm going back to Rasputin terms oh, now. Yeah, so um, to Rasputin nomenclature. Yeah, so in the Sleeper Simulant Grimoire card, this introduces a subroutine, Ikleos. Gosh, I just suddenly could not talk. Um, And it's an internal alert, basically, that Rasputin releases. But because basically what happens is he says, number of exterior defense breaches has increased by 400% in the past year. Current campus defense protocols unable to keep up with new demands. Operation Midnight Exigent is not yet complete. Interim response necessity is imperative. Hypothesize that resource guardians may be leveraged to compensate for CDP inadequacies. Reassign 12% of Cosmo assets to new directive. Declare Achilles. So declare a nightmare. This is a nightmare. I'm calling Voluspa and extracting subroutine Develin Forge to be modified and recompiled and to comport, comport to midnight exigent parameters. I'm inserting the modified Develin Forge 2 into Ikelios and compiling for immediate implementation. Execute short hold, short hold for partial shutdown and reactivation. So basically he had to start and restart himself after he shoved 12% of his Cosmo assets into the gun. So, yes, because of the nightmare situation that he is in, he is actually having to ask us for our help. Is basically what I read that as. Hmm. This is so it. We, we are cut. we are it, his worst nightmare. Most- <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, I can kind of see that. I can see that it's the. All of the naming with Rasputin is amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yes. Uh, you could. You can go down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. 
<coughs> Excuse me, man. But I mean, yeah, I uh the the concept of I mean, just real quick, the concept of Davlin, who is the dwarf um the dormant one, the the slumbering one in Norse mythology. He's a dwarf. Oh, in, uh the Dvalin. Yeah, the yeah, Dvalin, yeah. Forge. I mean, like he talks about Dvalin Forge, which is so Dvalin Forge is a concept that Rasputin had early in the collapse when he was trying to um to he he was he had a theory that he could arm the populace with basically really really cruddy fusion rifles and they would be able to rise up and defend against the darkness. It didn't didn't go so well. Um, and so Dvalin Forge 2 is basically, okay, we're going to retrofit the, the weapons that we were going to do. And that's where we get the sleeper simulant. So the sleeper simulant is the Dvalin Forge Mach 2, basically, which is why it's called Dvalin Forge 2. It's a reiteration of that concept, but designed for the more powerful figure of the guardians rather than just the regular humans that he was originally trying to arm with fusion rifles. So yes did was he not aware of the meta <laughs> i think well and you know the other the other kind of thing that i th- i kind of get a feeling for and this is just me is that rasputin kind of designed the devolent the original devolent forge um so granted he, he designed it for regular humans right so obviously it was a regular sized fusion rifle which you know eh, like it i give me and so, but then if you look at the sleeper simulant, sleeper simulant's a heavy weapon. It's a much larger fusion rifle. And so I think, you know, I, I think that is a nod to the concept that a guardian is capable of wielding more power than a normal human, because a normal human would be given the fusion rifle and be like pew, pew, pew. Oh. Whereas the, the sleeper a normal is, human would hold a sidearm and be pew, like, pew, pew, dragging it on the ground. Yeah. Well, um, not ne- not necessarily, but I, I don't. Or you're know. not going to get into that argument. Yeah, I almost, I kind of wonder why he doesn't have a big Death Star esque um, version of a fusion rifle that just fires up from a hole in the Cosmodrome floor. Oh, I was like, um, well, he has war sets. If you punch the anomaly, you'll get hit with a war set. Yeah. Not the same thing, yeah. but <laughs> uh, he needs he needs some sort of uh, you know earth to air mm-hmm. weapon. <laughs> well, and he had. I mean, like the thing. I mean, I would I would argue that during the height of Rasputin's period in the Golden Age, he would have exactly that. I mean, he speaks of the Aurora knives and you know all these things that he had set up to attack the Traveler potentially. He, I mean, he had enough confidence that he could he could gut the traveler enough that it would stay. Um, again, not saying that he did, but he did have the means to. I mean, he basically had the equivalent of a shotgun sitting right there. So yeah. it's more. I think it's more of a nod that he doesn't. It, the systems have degraded so much since you know, like it's been. Oh, like, he said that condense it into the smaller the smaller platform, mm-hmm. which is well, the handheld weapon. Right. Well, and also, you know, he's, he's probably when he shut himself down the first time, he probably sacrificed a lot of resources because he wasn't there to protect them, which also would explain why when the Lords kind of dumped a, a, uh, 
bucket of water over him by in you know interjecting into his stuff he kind of responded with the normal grumpiness so but yes that was that was pretty much my thoughts and the chats kind of the chat's whole conversation flow i think we actually did i think i even actually got through my mythology connection without did. killing did. myself and I'll, I'll i'll throw you this i'll throw you this uh before we get on to emails and and questions from chat but uh you know when we first did the the initial rasputin episode mm-hmm. every everything was very much centered around one question rasputin friend or foe right right because we didn't know. Do you feel that we know any better? <laughs> <Now>. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I, I think friend is a powerful word. And I think foe is a powerful word for regards to Rasputin. I think Rasputin mm-hmm. is, I think Rasputin is playing a chess game. And we are, we are pieces on the board, Mm. powerful pieces. We are very powerful assets, but we are assets at the end. He's an ally. Yeah. Yeah, Scott dragon just said that in uh, chat. He's an ally. He's not a friend. He's not going to, he's not going to stick his neck out for you. But at the same time, that's the same thing he is to us. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's not he's not our friend. We're not friends with Rasputin. We view him as an asset, and we know that Zavala views him as an asset. You know, Vanguard mm-hmm. definitely doesn't see him as a friend. They see him as a defense resource. So, yeah, I I, I don't think that there's there's a degree of malice towards the city or the Guardians, but I think I mean the quote from Tevis really does ring true he uh you know he he he's not gonna like actively go against you but at the same time he's not gonna he's not gonna stop you from falling you know, he, yeah you know, like tevis says he may not be against us but he doesn't care if you live if the city lives or if the traveler lives he doesn't no, care i think yeah uh, i think uh interests and imperatives align mm-hmm and, and, as, and that that can be a very temporary exactly condition. that's what I was about to say and as long as that's the case I think that we will be on the same side yeah so I see I see yeah that's actually um yeah in uh, chat chat's right now talking uh, really quick about the initial purpose of Rasputin <clears throat> and Cypher actually nailed it, I think. Uh he says, Would it be or uh would it be possible that Rasputin is responsible for other things? Uh in the example that he is looking or the example that he uses is the superintendent at ODST, who is responsible for the entire city and managing its systems. Could Rasputin be responsible for more than just defense, maybe down to things as simple as running the basic automated systems on Earth pre collapse? Um I would agree with that, actually. I think that Rasputin is very, very, very similar to smart AIs from the Halo universe. Um, You know, I I think 
which which is not to say that they copied the concept the the idea of a smart ai as a management tool has i mean it pick your sci-fi it's going to be there um but i i do get the sense that rasputin was not that you call them war minds and that that is true they are there for defense but i'd also get the sense that their networks were mean, meant to do more than just be military processes i mean we know that from i think it's uh old russia the ghost fragment old russia three is that the one where they're flying the plane around do you remember off the top of your head justin oh i could find out okay well anyways that card you kind of get the sense that rasputin is actually doing a lot he he's so yeah, it's old Ghost Fragment, Old Russia Three. Uh, this is the General Chin Lanshu and her submine Malahayati. Um, and so this is this is also where you kind of got the idea that Rasputin was the first among equals, and you know he's a very pessimistic sen- sense of creature it's a thing. I don't I don't he's not a yeah. Anyways, he's he's the first among equal among the war minds and among all the all the programs throughout the human universe at this point. Rasputin kind of seems to be the the emperor of them all, and the uh, the sense is that yeah, I mean, he might not be directly responsible, but he is definitely the facilitator of all those programs. Um, so no, he might not be running the garbage disposal, but the program that does do all that is connected to him and he has control of those assets. So he controls the assets. I think is that's my understanding of the concept of the war mind, because we also know that the war minds had uh, cores. We know they had sub mines such as Mali Hayati. Um, Martel was a, a war mine core. Um, we know that, those exist. So those are just, to me, those are kind of like, um, uh, networked subcomputers that are slaved to a master computer itself. So I don't, Justin, do, would you agree with that or? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. And, uh, I, I see Rasputin a lot like, um, Mycroft Holmes from the movie, yeah. the harsh mistress. Um, he, he oversees an awful lot. That doesn't mean to say he oversees the process that oversees minutia, but he doesn't, you know, you know, he's, he's all about allocation of resources, right? He I delegates. My point. Yeah. He delegates that to other processes, right? He is, he is the master. He is the master of all the sub. Yeah. Cypher. Yeah. The master of all but, the sub programs. I guess when I was answering that question in chat uh, as to his initial purpose, I, I kind of uh, misread or didn't misread I'm more, more, more so I misanswered, which, which was to say I was trying to, to identify his, um, his, what, what is it? His uh, prime function? directive. Yeah. Prime directive. His prime, his prime imperative, meaning the thing that takes precedence over all else, mm-hmm. which I well, think, until he rewrote it, it. Yeah, which which I think, you know, when it came down to it, that was defense. Right. Defense of humanity, which humanity. was the original prime directive, but then he managed 
to rewrite it. <laughs> well, Which, to a degree, to a degree, managed, I think he managed. I think he managed to rewrite it simply through through the fact that humanity's one of humanity's only shots was his survival. So right, well, his he was survival, uh, right? Yeah, became became um, imperative to our survival. So I, I believe allowing some of us to die to save himself still actually met his initial yes. prime directive. Well, and, and that's um, where, that's where I kind of was saying, you know, he's a, he's playing chess. He's, he's playing the long game here. Yeah. He's, he's definitely not playing the short game because of, you know, obviously the collapse and what he did in the collapse definitely kind of points to that. So yeah. you want to jump into the emails? I know we have a couple. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's do it. All right. Well, real quick, let's jump into dispatches from the wilds. Dispatches from the wilds. All right. So our uh, our first email actually comes from one of Justin's good, good, good friends, Operation Man Bag. Man bag. Man bag. <laughs> so the Manny says, I noticed right away the involvement of Rasputin in the the Rise of Iron story missions. I haven't poured over them or researched them, but I'm very curious about your and Focus Fire Chat's thoughts are about Rasputin's involvement. How he opposed the Iron Lords. Why would he seek to hoard Siva for himself, afraid it would be used against him? What Saladin said about the constructs they encountered when storming the Siva complex was interesting. That Saladin hadn't seen before or since. Also, what he said about his presence being almost physical and trying to communicate. Communicate what? I think he must have had something in mind for Siva, but it tried, it tried to communicate it then. It could have been possibly been for the benefit of humanity and Earth. And about Rasputin not being simply a war mine for a long time, I think, confirms a lot of speculation. Notice that the environments later in the raid were very reminiscent of his bunker that we saw in previous activities. So, Justin, you want to take lead on this one? Yeah, I, uh, I can kind of see that. Um... I think when we're dealing with with Rasputin, I'm trying to. Where is? Why don't you Why don't you go and grab it? I've got one thing I'm trying to find real quick on it. All right. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, um, in regards to Rasputin's involvement with the Iron Lords, um, that's kind of it's kind of what I was saying up above. I think the context in which he was existing is drastically different from the context that, you know, we find him in when we interact with him. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily think that he was, uh, he was trying to hoard Siva for himself as much as I think he views Siva as an asset that he just, that's his asset. It's his tool. He, I mean, it's like if I'm in the middle of doing something and you come and try to take the tool that I'm using to do it from me while I'm using the tool, or even if it's sitting in my toolbox while I'm doing something else, it's kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, don't do that. Like that's not going to, that doesn't really fly with a lot of people. Um, I don't, I don't, 
I mean, yes, I think that the fear, I don't think it would be called fear, but I could see him having a idea of this could be potentially misused by the individuals who take it as case in point, it is being misused by the people who took it. Um, I think that's more of actually what his fear was not so much against him necessarily, though he would probably understand that he could be collateral damage if it gets out of hand. Um, about Rasputin not simply being a war mind, I think you go back to those ghost fragments of Rasputin and read those because that really, to me, kind of points out where where it starts going, not wrong, but starts going kind of sideways for Rasputin's sense of self. Um, you know, Justin and I were just talking about that. You know, his, his imperative is the protection of humanity. Well... Sometimes that gets really kind of hazy because what happens when his survival is important for the survival of the species, but his survival requires the death of millions so that he can save the species. Um, you know, it's so in, I think, I think as he is growing in age, he is, he's he's having more and more access to information and more and more information um you know i i think that he is beginning to develop a sense of of sentience um and not not like sentience like i am aware of myself you know i think therefore i am a, a degree of sentience as close to um I don't want to call it rampancy because it's not rampancy. Um, but it, it's a, it's a degree of. He won awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's exactly what I was trying to figure. Yeah. Self-awareness. He is, he's developing self-awareness. I, I think is my, my personal, my personal kind of feeling for that again, because I view him kind of as a super smart AI, um, which, was what led to rampancy. Rampancy is when they kind of think themselves into insanity. So, but yes, Justin, did you, did you get a chance? Yeah. To- um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I freaking, for some reason, my, my internet browser keeps crashing. That's because <laughs> it's explore. It's yeah, no, I think it's because it's, Re- it's Rasputin. He doesn't like me. Using oh, okay. Okay. We'll explore. just blame him then. But no, um, I think, I think the response to the, uh, iron Lords, that we see in that in that first awesome cutscene of Rise of Iron when you first load her up is um, not unlike the response inside any cute any computer when an outside mm-hmm. I don't know the correct term to use here when when a user from an outside node starts to use assets within that system yeah, it's I mean, pretty much antivirus at that point. Well, he's or, he feels like he's getting hacked. Exactly. And he is right. Yeah. He, I mean, yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, and, uh, I think it's in the ghost fragment Rasputin six, or it's one of the ones we read tonight. Um, he says, uh, deactivation of, of one of his protocols from an unauthorized, unauthorized user. Um, yes. Yeah. And, uh, that tells you all you need to know about that. Right. Cause that's the, um, the replicator chamber. Remember in yes, the replication yeah. chamber, there's actually a node. There's actually a mon, a um, oh god, a workstation. That's what I'm thinking. That you walk up to in the mission. Mm-hmm. You walk up to, and that's right when Felwinter decides to play piggyback on you. 
um, yeah. after you activate it. That's that's a work yeah. console, and I I guarantee you that's probably I think it was like what was it like six two eight nine or something. He says that there's an unauthorized user at cons at station blah 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 blah. That I bet you that's what that station is. They were he was yeah. just like no. Um. Now, uh, <clears throat> I I think I think uh, Rasputin views. Well, he doesn't view. Siva is one of Rasputin's one of Rasputin's system assets. So anything trying to use it at all would be in violation of probably every rule he operates by. So I think I think that kind of speaks to his um you know reaction to right. the Iron Lords trying to fool with Siva. And um and just real quick, oh no, Pins, Pins had a really good point as well. He says, you know, he noticed the break in and then you read and he notices that they have the power of O, which O is the traveler. It's light like that. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Um, I I don't I can almost with like 100 percent certainty. Tell you that O is the traveler. It's just, oh, I, it, I can it, just it doesn't make any sense if it's anything else. Um, it's not even anything less than a hundred. Yeah. I, 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 it's not specifically stated anywhere, but it, it wouldn't make any sense if it wasn't. Um, but anyways, so pins, pins point is that his use of Siva actually may be a measured response to use something that has the ability to, to eliminate the light that is in the, the, Oh God, what do you call them? Uh, the bears or whatever that he identifies. Cause he identifies that they're guardians here, or he identifies the power of, O, and so it might just be, Oh, this is the, I, it's not McAfee cause it actually worked. Um, AVG's response to the Trojan, you know, that is hacking his system. It's I'm going to smash you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, as far as Rasputin, not simply being a war mind, um, I will say this. He started out being quite simply a war mind. He started out being quite simply what he was designed to be. I do believe he's more now. Mm-hmm. And in all that I mean is he has grown from all of his experiences over the last however many, you know, thousands of years. And he there's no way he could be what he was at the beginning. So I do believe he's more now than he was before. Um, him developing a personality, so to speak, I don't think that's something that would be programmed from the get-go. Um, quite simply because it has no – what am I trying to say? There's no reason to put that in there, um, especially in such a complex system. It seems like it would cause more problems than it would – you know, it wouldn't be worth the potential problems it would cause. Blue could probably speak more to that since he's the computer guy, but it just makes no sense to me why he would have kind of this. And I know when I say he's got a personality, it's it's hard to pinpoint it because he doesn't so much speak mm-hmm. to us directly, but you can definitely tell that he's he's got his own personality. Oh, yeah. Well, and... um old Russia three, they, they point out that he's kind of, he's kind of a, a jerk. <laughs> yeah. He's a little bit of, 
he's, little bit of a jerk. He's a tyrant. Like they they call him the tyrant. Like behind yeah. his back. They don't call it where he can hear him. But, but yeah. so yeah. So yeah, um, and then uh, the environments later in the raid were Justin. I'm gonna let you take that one since you know. Uh, yeah, the environments later in the raid, most notably the freaking server room, is I love that room more than anything. Any other place <laughs> I've been in this game, it's just awesome. It's awesome. We got to get blue in the raid. Yeah, it's gonna happen. It'll gonna happen. happen. It'll happen eventually. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really fun raid. Um but uh yeah, yeah, I would say I would say it's all a Rasputin installation. So you can just expect more of the same throughout. Um it, there are differences. Um most notably like what I was just talking about with the you know, with the server room, that's that's kind of a new deal and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and also it's going to be a little different because um, the areas in the raid that we go in are, you know, parts of the SIVA installation. And those, those are areas we hadn't got to see previously. Um, so yeah, it has, has all the Rasputin bunkers. I love them because they're so uh, geometric and mm, <laughs> cool yeah. looking. You just like them because they make it easier to, make the image. I like the doors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I like the doors. <laughs> so the next email is from Landon and Landon says, Hey guardians, I have a question about raspy. So I'm wondering who or what reactivated raspy. I'm talking about the Promethean code mission. Love what you do guys. So the Promethean code mission kind of introduces the idea that Rasputin didn't necessarily wake himself up. Uh, And it asks the question, who did? And it kind of points out also that the the access points to Rasputin were not so much... um, There was interesting because they've been accessed by a number of points throughout the years... And they've always been accessed by the same same way. Um, I know a lot, a lot of people think that Kate, stranger. the stranger. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, it's oh, what was what was the what was the defense for it being an EXO? Because it was the it was a eye, the same eyes. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was, was a it, retinal, it was retinal, retinal scan. Yeah, it was so, a retinal scan. So there's no way the same eye was was alive for all those. Un- I mean, yeah, unless technically you're a guardian. I mean, yeah. So, so, anyways, there's a lot of argument that it was an exo. Um, not mostly because obviously exos were also usually understood to be kind of uh, a mini platform. If you were, yeah. um, you're, you're not one of mine. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, that mind, that entire that entire card, um, and so there's a lot of people who kind of point out, yeah, and they, they use that card to point that the stranger could have been the one reactivating him, and yep. but then Cade That's has it. a lot of boast about stealing stuff from him, so yeah, yeah. or or it could be yeah. Fellwinter for all we know now, because we know Fellwinter apparently has a history of trying to communicate with him, so. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is Fellwinter could be it. I I like to think uh, 
I like to think it was the stranger and that um, ghost fragment. What, which one is it? The, the Rasputin three. Is that the one where you he's mean the talking one where he's to like the yelling stranger? At her? He wants, yeah, her, he yeah. wants her to teach him how to uh, jump through time. I like, I like to think that's the conversation that ensued after he woke up. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. Rasputin four. Rasputin four. Thank you. Cause yeah, yeah, I mean, cause we know that it's after the collapse because he says that you're not one of them long dead alive again, their bodies grafted mm-hmm. to powers. They, and I do not understand. <clears throat> so. Yep. All right. So that, so as far as that, trying to find where my, my notes just changed on me. There it goes. Okay. So yeah, there, eh, we don't know ultimately who reactivated him, but there's uh, well, a, yeah, we can say really irresponsibly and I like doing that. So <laughs> it was the stranger, <laughs> but we can't say responsibly who it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, in blade, blade of Hades is pointing that out in chat. Yeah. There's four scans within the same set of eyes. Um, so, Oh, at the same time, I don't remember at the same time. Okay. So yeah, and yeah. So next email is from Subcult six one nine. He says, in the latest expansion, Rise of Iron, Lord Saladin makes a comment about Rasputin that opened the floodgates of questions and theories. The quote is the Vanguard still believes Rasputin to be a simple war mind. He hasn't been that for a very long time. What are your thoughts on this quote? See you guys on the flip side. So, yep, just like with Manny's question, you know, I think that Rasputin has has grown. I think as an intellectual being, he can't help it. As he gets more information, he develops more complexities, I guess you would call them, and more of a degree of self-awareness and self-preservation, I guess, would be my argument mm-hmm. there. Would you agree with that, Justin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would say that. Um and I would say the framework the framework of his uh kind of his uh programming is is open. It's open to evolving. Yes. So he most definitely does not an, follow the law of robotics. Yeah, yeah. So whereas a a traditional computer program operates within a, a static framework that doesn't change. Um, unless someone goes in and changes it. Rasputin was programmed a long, long time ago. And I would say manual changes to his programming probably have never been made after that. Um, so he is constantly evolving, much like a human being as we grow and go through our lives. Um, the people we meet and the experiences we have kind of shape the way that we approach future instances, you know, um, if I, if I walk out my front door tonight and, you know, a cougar jumps out of a tree and mauls me, <laughs> I'm going to look up every time I walk out a door from now on. Okay. So, calm down, pancake. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's how I feel about Rasputin. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, I, I do, I do think that it's interesting that, <laughs> the most the most common knowledge about robotics is the law of robotics and Rasputin doesn't follow them. I don't even think yeah, he has them. Yeah. 
He definitely has the allow a human to be harmed. Yeah. (laughs) The first rule. First rule. See you, Yolder. (laughs) Yeah. Bye. I mean, he definitely follows the third. Okay. So for those who don't know the law, the three laws of robotics, which is from Asimov. Um, the first rule is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. The mm-hmm. second rule is a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Rasputin does not. Does not. Well, he, he protects his own existence, but yeah, he doesn't follow the first law. Um, the last email that I got is from Catalucci and Catalucci says, whether due to self-preservation or programming to win at all costs still open for debate, but Raspi is using the Fabian strategy of attrition to defeat enemies, letting Hive, Vex, Cabal, Fallen deplete each other while he watches from the bunker. The questions I want to answer is when we, when will he launch offense, offensive measures and what Raspi considers, considers winning or final the solution? And the biggest question in connection with Raspi for me is, just what happened to the frames Dr. Shim sent into the Vex gates? They were connected to the war mine when they were sent in. <laughs> Love that. Love that. So yes, he is He is um, kind of following the war of attrition. There is actually a card, and I'm trying to remember which one it is. Oh, I'm going to see. Justin, what, you want to talk about the Vex gates real quick? I look yeah yeah card. so um i i like to think that it's it's rasputin that that he, they were connected to that the star collective scientists were connect were connected to but we we have nothing hard and fast to tell us that that's the case but you know it's it's very very possible that it's rasputin um if that's the case that kind of puts a whole new twist on the line from the Rasputin four card where he says, you're not one of mine to presumably a stranger. Um, We've always kind of read that, like you're not one of my exos, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it could be, you know, it it could be, he's talking about those forks. You know, I always, I always thought he was saying (laughs) like, generally you're not one of my, you know, one of the exos that came off my assembly line, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a cool little twist. I had not thought about. That. Yeah, actually, now that you um, say that, that does make make me think about things differently. Yeah. Um, now uh, about Rasputin using the Fab- the Fabian strategy, uh, whether it's whether it's willful. And intentional, and he knows that he's using the Fabian strategy. Oh, I think or, if he's using it, he knows. Or or not, or it's just a coincidence that there's also a strategy named, you know, the Fabian strategy. He definitely, by definition, is. <laughs> yeah, so, and so here's I found I find I finally found it. Um, he found it. He found it. I found it. I found it. Uh, there. So the question about <clears throat> him launching offensive attacks. If you go look at Ghost Fragment Rasputin 2, this is the story, uh, well, this is an 
kind of a, a example of an offensive attack because <laughs> there's a hunter who is hunting Valista Ark and she basically Kate has sent her to track um the Val the Valis and so she's just watching I think it's Cabal and Vex just like slamming into each other. They're just like fighting each other. And then all of a sudden, um, stuff starts just like raining from the sky. Um, hang on. Basically, I call this, I call this the confirmation that the hammer of Dawn is in destiny because yeah, here it is. She so quote says she has the sense of something old, lifting a long spear, testing its heft. Then Dawn light, a terrible Dawn, the sky opens up to emit devastation thrown down from orbit. Minotaurs fall burnt and broken with their fluids boiling out. Cabal guns detonate in thunderous chains as tiny piercing flechettes fall out of the sky and find their ammunition bunkers. The battle stops. The Vex wink out. On the Cabal network, the voice of Fallas Tark roars. Find the source, rouse the flares, and find the source. She remembers word from Earth. The array opened. A ghost of the Cosmodrone set loose. And she wonders who won this battle, who learned the most, the Vex baiting out this new power, or the Cabal hunting it, or the Warmind itself testing its reborn strength. So. Hmm. Hammer of Dawn. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think Rasputin's capabilities are are such that being a, a primarily offensive platform is is it's is where it would be most effective, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I think if Rasputin's operating within within its uh you know kind of its wheelhouse, I think he's probably more of a defense fe- platform than than a like a an attack platform. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think he's I mean, also he more... Can sur- he can surgically do like he did on Mars there, where he took right. out the, the Cabal and the Vex. But, um, you know, sweeping attacks and things like that. Maybe if he had arm- armies of frames. I'm sure he I'm sure he or Warminds like him probably coordinated, um, you know, frame attacks. Oh, yeah. yeah. Way back in the day. <clears throat> I think... <clears throat> Man, excuse me. Um, I think the other thing, you know, talking about his... His, uh, the primary like wheelhouse, I guess, as you said, um, it definitely seems to be more of monitoring and, uh, evaluating like, cause yeah. again, from Rasputin too, there's a, there's a quote right before that, right before that one, that it says a third song, which it's talking about, um, her perceptions of communication. So a third song, a stealthy regard, something high above them, not Vex or Cabal, narrowing its great eye to measure the battle with instruments of light and gravity. Does she remember it? Does it remember her? It feels like she should. Makes me think she's an exo, but we don't know that for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, th- I think the primary function was more of like, because I mean, you also remember that Rasputin was one of the first to register the darkness entering the system as well. I mean, he's, he's got, he's got, uh, not intelligence network, but a, a monitoring network that is, was amazingly detailed. 
So I think I think defense is definitely his predominant thing, but that's not to say that he can't dish out some pretty hefty damage when he needs to. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yep, that is the dispatches from the wild section. So thank you guys so much for sending those in. Yes. We really, really appreciate them. Um, obviously the email topic for next week is going to be the guardian race human. Um, want to hear you guys' thoughts and ideas, theories, uh, pretty much anything on that focus more on, I know the chat, we're kind of talking about the civilians a little bit right now, uh, just to kind of segregate them out. Um, we did, we, are going to swing back to the guardians, but I mean, yeah, focus kind of focus on the guardian humans, not necessarily the civilian humans. Um, if you can, but if you have any ideas on civilians, feel free to send them in. Um, yeah. And then my, my shout outs really this, this week are to Podbean and iTunes, the guys and gals who have sent us reviews and feedback. Um, thank you so very much. Um, we really enjoy reading them. Uh, it gives it gives us a, a chance to get better at this. It tells us, you know, hey, is there something that you don't like, or is there something that we're doing really well? You know, it kind of draws attention to that because, for the most part, what we're doing is we just get on and we we try to make it sound good, um, but we don't really know what we're doing. We don't do this professionally. We are kind of just hanging out, really. So it's by feedback from you guys, either through Discord, through email, through the reviews, um, that we get better at that. And then my other shout out is to our crowdfunding members. Uh, we do do a crowdfunding um, process over on the Podbean site. If you guys are interested in that at all or curious about what's in it, that does have tiers. Um, like $1 will give you guys a mention on the website. We are actually maybe doing something with the website. Um, I'm trying to figure that out right now. Just started looking at it. So nothing big promise there, but we might have something in the works there. Um, and then a, a donation of a three or more gets you a really cool, um, is it a mobile, mobile wallpaper? I think Justin, yes. isn't it mobile? Yes. Um, it so is. that's, no, go for it. No, I was going to say it's it's a mobile wallpaper, and uh, we we have for Android and for iPhone, different iPhone sizes. But and this is a uh, it's it's limited right now to um, kind of a stock Android and a stock iPhone. Mm-hmm. But I can make any screen resolution fairly quickly. So if if you do um, get on the the Podbean crowdfunding and have some kind of crazy you know, Google pixel phone. Um, you can just email us the resolution and we can get you a custom fit wallpaper. Yep. And then, yeah. And then also apparently I, I haven't really seen this in use, but Podbean does have a patrons only comment ability on there as well. Um, and we really appreciate those comments. I think we've gotten a couple of them, but so yeah, that's, that's what we have right now. Um, and most, you know, most of that is just support of all the programs and, you know, going to things like Guardian Con. That's what helps alleviate some of that cost for us uh, for for all the stuff that we do. And, you know, that's really what we we, we that's what we use it for. Um, and that's that's it for me. You got anything over there, Justin? 
Yeah. Yeah. I was just big shout out to Mel who had to work tonight. Um, miss you. And, uh, you know, be careful, be careful out there. It's dangerous to go alone out there. So, um, and, uh, then a big shout out to our, uh, emailers for this week, uh, operation man bag, Landon Subcult, and Catalucci. Um, thanks for sending those in. Everybody send those emails in. Um, they don't even have to be super long. Um, no, no, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, and, um, and it also gives you a chance if you have a question, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, I would just say, I just uh, not really shout out, but I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving and is geared up for a a fun holiday time in the month of December. Sounds great. So with that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend the evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash chat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes or through that email as well. Be sure to always also check out our partner podcast within the Guardian Radio Network over on the guardiansofdestiny.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright. 